This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, this is uh, Jay Harris, the latest edition of Amazing Mental Love Life podcast. My special guest is my good friend, Howie Rose. Howie, 10 years ago this week, you were celebrating Johan's tennis no-hitter. First one in Mets history. What I remember about that day is after the game was over, Gary and and um, Keith, Ron Darling, want to know. They want to know what was Howie thinking <laughs> that day. What were you thinking of as the great historian? Do you ever think the day would ever come? No, number one. And hi, Jay. Hi, Howie. Um, good to be with you. Yes, and, sir. and I actually not only spent a little time wondering what Gary said on the TV side. I made sure that Gary came into our radio booth and we did a little impromptu post-game together, just circling back to our roots as Mets fans, as kids, and all of the close calls that they had specifically with Seaver over the years and one or two others. And Jay, no, I did not believe that the no-hitter was actually complete until about a split second after the ball was nestled into Josh Tolley's glove. I was in complete disbelief. Yeah, was it over 8,000 games or whatever? 8,020th game right. in franchise history is when they... See, so you have Seaver, Gooden, uh, Kuzman, Cohn, um, and, and, and it got so long without... I'm, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Matt Harvey in Matt, his best days threatened to pitch no-hitters. Yeah. And, and, you know, you remember even Sid. You know, Sid Fernandez had no-hit stuff. Right. Um, so there were a lot of games... And a lot of days when I'd come to the ballpark thinking, oh boy, today could be the day, you know. Frankly, I'd given up on that what? until Johan got it done. Do you remember about the agony of Terry Collins' talks after the game? He said to me, I was really rooting for, the first time as a man, we're rooting for somebody to get a hit. You know, I mean, he was in agony. He didn't, maybe he enjoys it now, but he didn't enjoy it that night. No, and you could see it on his face during the latter innings in that game. Because if you remember, the preamble to that game was the pitch count that Johan was going to be limited to. Because if I remember right, he pitched a pretty low hit, complete game. His outing just before, before the no shutout, right? He had a and he was yeah, and he was coming off of shoulder surgery, right. and they wanted to be so careful with him. And I remember in Terry's pregame meeting with the press, he said 110 maybe 115 pitches, and no more. And I remember saying on the air during the game, probably after Johan walked his fourth batter, which was somewhere around the fourth or fifth inning, I even said, if you think tonight's going to be the night, even though they don't have a hit off him yet, forget it, because the pitch count is not going to allow it. And then, as you point out, I think it got to a point where it was going to be Johan's call, and, and Terry just couldn't take it. I mean, I, I, you could see the sweat pouring out of Terry's pores, even though it wasn't literally rolling off of his cheeks. But, the way he approached the game, like he said, you know, uh, he doesn't have any regrets about tonight. I mean, I, he said, a lot of people, well, did it ruin my career, shorten my career? He said, listen, I gave it all that night. I have no regrets about anything. That's the kind of guy he was. He, 
you know, he's, it, it is what it is, you know. It was because it got to a point by about the seventh and certainly the eighth inning that it was going to be Johan's call to make. And I think Terry sort of respected that and conceded that. And that's what drove him so crazy and why I'm sure he did want somebody on the Cardinals to get a base hit because the issue was not in doubt. The Mets won the game eight to nothing. Right. So it wasn't about, oh boy, a hit here could really turn this game around. I understand why Terry was tortured, but ultimately it was Johan's decision to make. And so whatever misgivings Terry might have 10 years later, it was still in Johan's hands and Terry was not going to wrestle it out of them. Okay, Howie, remember the bat, Mike Bax's play? What was your thoughts when Molina hit the ball, you know, catch, you think he would get it, not get it? I mean, I had a lot of complicated thoughts because, for one, you know, it was Johan, it was Yadier Molina, again, 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 you know, who stood to be something of a villain. And Mike Baxter's a guy that I had taken particular liking to, as I'm sure you did too. He was a Queens guy, right. was a hockey fan, a Ranger fan. We talk about that from time to time. And it was at the point in Mike's career where it looked like he was just starting to break through, too. You know, he was getting more playing time. He was hitting. He was obviously a solid defensive outfielder. So all of that stuff was circling through my mind as he went back and made the catch. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, very often a no-hitter has a play like this that you reflect on after the fact and say, boy, that was a turning point or that was something that's going to endure forever. But, you know, the injury, and we didn't know the severity at the time, is, is what I take from that play. So I came down to training room in about the eighth inning, and I listened in the, eighth, in the ninth inning in there. And so Mike is on the training table by himself, so I said, I didn't even know how to say, Mike, I think the writers are going to want to speak to me, you might go into the locker room. I thought I had to ask, so he had his arm in a sling, yeah. trudged into the locker room, just sort of kind of guy he is. You know, people don't know, Mike is now in the head recruiter and batting coach at Vanderbilt, highly successful team, and unfortunately, because of the SEC tournament, he can't be here, but, but I mean, your interaction, I'm just a class guy. And, uh, oh, he was great. He, Mike he, was great. How we, so early this year, second no-hitter, five guys, is, is people say it's not a true no-hitter, it is a no-hitter, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, it's a no-hitter. I mean, the totals for the Phillies were no runs on no hits, so duh, it's a no-hitter. Is it the same? No. Mike Vaccaro asked me the next morning what I thought. How would I compare it to Santana's? And I said, Johan's was 1969. Last night, the five-pitcher no-hitter, that was 1973. And Johan himself says that the combined no-hitters are going to be more... Going for that's what's going to be. Don't you think the way baseball is going now? Undoubtedly, unless they somehow find a way to throw the game back into the starting pitcher's hands with the intent of going eight or nine innings, yeah, we're going to see more of these. And, and the way bullpens are utilized today, um, I don't think they're going to be a common occurrence because no hitters never are, but I'm sure that we'll see way more of them from this point on than we had up until recently. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. 
Howie, part of this is your play-by-play job. Part of your, your, your job is doing all the on-the-field stuff, you know. Yeah. I just talk about a couple of things. How emotional was the Seaver statue thing for you, seeing Nancy Seaver and, you know, that, that time there? Jay, it was incredibly emotional. And, you know, full disclosure, it may have looked as though every sentence that I spoke was strictly off the top of my head. It was not. I wrote every word that I said, but they were loaded onto teleprompters. And we had two prompters, one on the left and one on the right. The one on the left I could see clearly. The one on the right, either because of sun or perhaps it broke altogether, I don't know, but that was rendered virtually useless. And in a way, it might have helped me because Nancy and um, Sarah and Ann, the daughters, were seated to my right. And if I looked over there, if I took a peek, I thought I was going to break down. It was very emotional because I know how emotional it was for Nancy and, and her daughters and the entire Seaver family. Um, but, you know, as someone who, you know, first grew up idolizing Tom as a player and then got to work with him and share some broadcasts on the air with him and certainly consider him a friend later on, it, it was emotional. We all know it should have, meaning the statue, been there from day one that the ballpark opened. It wasn't. And, uh, you know, thankfully it was commissioned and, and, and finally seen to fruition. Um, but for so many reasons. And, and, and the most frustrating, of course, the fact that Tom could not be there to see it himself just added to the layer upon layer of emotions that were swirling around, certainly in my mind that day. For me, when I saw the statue, I was thinking about the trip that you and I took and Jeff Wilpon flew us out there. Was it 15 to 14? 2016. 2016. Yeah. We, we saw Tom in his vineyards and uh, walked around in the mud and with his dogs. I mean, it was really the last time I really had a really good conversation with Tom. I remember we ate lunch at his favorite diner, or delicatessen rather. Whatever that was, yeah. yeah it was the old general yeah. store in Calistoga. Do you remember all the, the balls he had in his house? I mean, it's remarkable the stuff he did, right? It's incredible because he had basically one wall with baseballs encased in glass protection. And if you recall, Jay, he had every significant baseball, not only throughout his Major League Baseball career, but throughout his life. His mom saved the baseball from his first Little League win. So what was he, seven, eight years old or whatever? And there it was in the same casing as, well, his 300th win and some of the others. So you... How, how nervous do you get when you do the opening day, the 40th anniversary, 69 team? Do you still get nervous before you do these things? I don't think nervous is the word for it because nervousness implies doubt. You know, for me, it's such a labor of love that my adrenaline is flowing so strongly and my energy level is just so high. Um, I'm excited to do it, you know. I I just have so many thoughts that roll around in my head depending on what the ceremony is for, who it's about. I'll tell you a quick story. When we brought back the 86 team for the 20th anniversary, up until then, whenever I'd emceed anything on the field, the podium and microphone had always been set up around home plate. Well, on this night, it was set up out at second base. You might remember that the weather was inclement, so we had the tarp on the field, which was unfortunate. But anyhow, the podium was at second base at Shea Stadium. 
And all I could think of when I went out there was, this is the view the Beatles had <laughs> when they did their concerts. Yeah. Uh, the two concerts they played at Shea, and I'm such a huge Beatles fan. Here I am introducing a lot of guys on the 86 team. They're friends of mine, you know? And I'm introducing these guys and, you know, really ramping up their careers and making it as flowery an introduction as I can. But all I could think of while I was out there was, this is the exact view that the Beatles yeah. had. I had everything I could do to keep from breaking Baby. into babies in black or I'm yeah. down. So, native of Brooklyn, uh, July 24th, Gil Hodges, finally Hall of Fame. What, what's your thoughts when, uh, about that? Well, again, it's about stinking time. Should have happened a long time ago. Um, I'm glad that certainly Joan and the Hodges family could enjoy it. Um, I wish they could have enjoyed it, certainly when Joan was younger and in right. better health. 95. She still watches on TV. God bless. Yeah, she still watches on TV. God bless. But, and and, and yet we have a lot of good alumni events. Then uh, July 9th, we retire Keith's number. You knew Keith a long time. To me, he hasn't changed one bit since he was a player. I mean, it's still, still Keith. Well, he has to be yeah. because he's created a brand for himself, yeah. you yeah. know. I mean, just on the air, you know, you never know where he's going to go. Yeah. But when it's all about the game and it's all about the moment, I mean, nobody's better at interpreting what's going on and, and giving a player's um, sensibilities to the moment. Um, he's another guy, Jay, that, and I know I'm biased, I cannot be objective here because he's a friend of mine. But when you consider what he did defensively to redefine that position right, no with, you know, being a, an integral part and maybe, you know, even arguably getting the biggest hit in both Game 7s of the World Series that his team's played in and won, to me, Keith Hernandez is a Hall of Famer. See, you know what I found? Got, we got involved in the Gil Hodges stuff, and I hope I don't get Joe in trouble, but Joe was on a committee. Joe was an advocate. Joe Torrey. Was an advocate for Gil. And... And, you know, I, I just found that if you don't have an advocate pushing you, it's hard, you know. I mean, it's really hard. Like, Joe Joe was there, and, you know, we, we played a little politics. Ferguson Jenkins was on a committee. So we had Cleon Jones called Ferguson Jenkins. But, I mean, politics aside, this guy belongs in the, in the Hall of Fame. And hopefully what's happened, maybe he still has a chance in the next couple of years. Meaning which, Keith. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll advocate for him, but I'm not a Hall of Famer, no. so yeah. I don't have a vote. But, you know, to your point about needing an advocate, Gill would have been in about 30 years ago yeah. had the committee at the time allowed the late Roy Campanella's vote right. in favor of Gill, but there wasn't, may even still be a rule that every voting member had to be present at the time the election took place and, and Roy Campanella was hospitalized at the time, right. pleaded with them to accept his vote. He voted and, and pleaded and advocated passionately for Gill and had his vote been allowed, Gill would have been voted in by the Veterans Committee around 1992 yeah, or 93. 30, 34 ballots and this is the 35th time he was on a ballot. So another big day how we you know, took his old-timers they game. We're going to keep you busy that day. 65 guys now. Great. You, we, I mean, is there any one or two, uh, you know, guys, maybe not the All-Star, did you remember going back to your Met days that were kind of special for you? Well, it's complicated because I have all the favorites that most of us would have had as a fan. 
you know, growing up and seeing the franchise from day one, obviously the 69 crew, every one of those people are so special to me because they influenced my life, you know, never mind my career. That 1969 team reinforced what my mom had always told me, was that you could accomplish anything you put your mind to. I'm not sitting here with you as a Mets broadcaster in all likelihood if not for what the 1969 Mets accomplished. But then when my career started and um, I started to get to know players on a different level apart from just fandom, right. I'm excited to see guys who were there, you know, kind of when my career started, who I came to really enjoy. Doug Flynn is such a terrific guy and Steve Henderson, I'm happy to hear, is, is going to be there. And, you know, I really felt for Steve early on because he was placed in an impossible situation, having been a, a key component to the package the Mets got in the Tom Seaver deal. But Steve held up his end of the bargain pretty well. I was know? at the game against the Giants when the Mets were, what, 6 nothing in the ninth inning. Yeah. He had a home run to, yep. to, win, you know, to, to win the game and yep. everything. Tell me, what was it like to replace Bob Murphy? I don't know that I have. I don't know that well, anyone could have replaced him. But I'll tell you what, I can answer that in a couple of ways. Murph, as you know, was a taskmaster. He wasn't the easiest guy in the world to know because he wanted his he wanted things done his way, and that especially pertained to his job. And so Murph was a stickler for as close as you can come to perfection in the booth. And I remember when I was going back and forth between doing TV and radio, this is in the early 2000s, I guess. I was doing a game on radio with Murph, and I just wasn't satisfied that my radio work was where it should be. And I remember after a half inning that I wasn't satisfied with that I had done, we threw it a commercial, and I said to Murph, I said, you know, so I don't know if I'm ever gonna really get how to broadcast baseball on radio. And Murph was not prone to complimenting people, but he kind of patted me on the thigh and he said, no, he said, you should feel good about your radio work. And I'm telling you, that's something I never expected right. from Murph. I felt like I'd gone to the moon in a rocket ship because he just made me feel yeah. that good. That he was, was always very nice to me. When I first began, hmm. he took me under his wing and really was very supportive of my career. So let me rate the calls. Uh, Mattel, Mattel, Mattel. <laughs> well, that's hockey. Or, or, the, or uh, I think the ball's got a chance, Mike Piazza's home Well, run. you know, we can joke about this one has a chance because you're going back to the famous home run that Mike right. hit on September 21st, 2001, first game after the 9-11 attacks. And the full story, I don't know if I ever told you, the full story behind this one has a chance. Let's back up about three hours before game time. I was doing TV that night, and the executives from MSG Network, for whom we televised the game, came into the booth, and they said, this is going to be like no other game you've ever done. It's a very solemn occasion. So you can't be yelling and screaming like you would ordinarily. You have to low-key it and just understand that um, we're still feeling our way through this, and I don't think anybody's just in the mood to be hysterical the way we might be if the Mets won an emotional or an important game. Well, okay, so with all of that hanging over my head, Mike hits the home run. And I'm thinking, well, I can't go berserk here. It's a you know, seminal moment in this franchise's history, perhaps. But I've got to kind of low-key it. Well, our old friend Charlie Samuels would tease me from time to time whenever 
he was around me when that call was being replayed, he would say with that little lisp of his, he goes, hey, Howie, have a chance? You think it had a chance? <laughs> yes. The ball's going to the Whitestone Bridge. You think it had a chance? Well, yeah. the reason I had to say this one has a chance is because I had this mandate not to be overly exuberant. And so yeah. I, I tried to there were two, two. pat it down. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mateau was at the game recently, wasn't he? I saw, at you? our game here, yeah. 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 yeah, I saw him this past weekend at a wedding, too. I mean, You we, maintain a relationship with yeah, him? Yeah, we're friends, and, and I've played golf with him. should see him hit a golf ball, yeah. by the way. I, um, and every May 27th, one of us will text the other. That's the anniversary of the game. So, yeah, yeah, we've kind of become a traveling roadshow. So, Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, yeah. New York State Baseball Hall of Fame, now New York State Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's cool. Monopoly at Hall of Fame. I, I guess. I mean, uh, it's, um, it's pretty flattering. I think what it means is I'm getting really old, and they're probably figuring we might as well get these licks in now. <laughs> so... It's flattering. Howie, how long have you been on Twitter? Two, a year, two years? Twitter? Yeah. You want to hear something ironic? The first day that I went on Twitter as one who would... I mean, I had, what do they call them, burner accounts or something? I, yeah, yeah. I yeah. had an account only because I needed to follow what was going on with other writers and broadcasters. But I, I always said, I'm never going to tweet because I'm, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to have that second glass of wine with dinner, and I'm going to say... Yeah, I can get away with this. And then I realized, ooh, I shouldn't have sent that. Well, luckily, that hasn't happened. I've kind of learned how to manage what I do on Twitter. But the first day that I tweeted, it was when the pandemic hit and everybody was locked up and locked in. And I was really feeling detached and in need of connecting with a fan base. Do you believe what date it was? It was on April 11th, April 11th, 2020. April 11th was the date in 1962 that the Mets played their first very first game right, right. in the National League. And that's the date all those years later that I unknowingly, I didn't realize it until after the fact, um, tweeted for the first time. It's great. It's very enjoyable. How is this year's team? Uh, how would you have for a broadcaster two nine inning rallies at the Cardinals, Philadelphia? He keeps the listeners there more. I mean, I mean, no lead is un- un- unreachable now. I mean, you know. No, that's a great point. I, I think it does keep the audience engaged. I think even in a recent game, when they scored seven runs in the eighth inning to go ahead, they ended up losing in the ninth. But it just reinforces that this is a team that you don't tune out. You know, no lead appears to, I know it's cliche, but no lead by the opposition appears insurmountable. And so, yeah, they've, I think, grabbed hold of this fan base in a way that few other Mets teams of recent vintage have. Compare it to any team you... you well, I, you know, Jay, I think it's the kind of thing where if you go a long way and, and, and win a pennant or a World Series, and we're way, way, way uh, in advance of that. But you look back after the fact, as we do some magical games in 86 and 69, where you say, hmm, maybe some things are meant to be. I do not want anybody to misinterpret. I am not declaring 
you know, that the Mets of 2022 are fated to go all the way. But you look back at some of the games that they've played, if they do, and you say, well, maybe these were little hints they were sending us along the way. Especially the Cardinal game with the two outs, nobody on. Yeah. I, I mean, and you come with, what, with six runs? Five runs. Five runs. You end up come. winning 5-2. That doesn't happen that, that, that often, right? It doesn't. And, and sometimes it does happen in years that become ultimately forgettable. But there have been a lot of those kinds of moments we've gone through this year over the first couple of months where you say, I don't know where this season's going, but the first little while's been really special. You, you deal with Buck on an everyday basis. Yeah. I mean, how much, how important is a guy like that, a veteran guy, knows the market, knows to deal with the media, how much is, it, is that important for the success of the club? I think it's impossible to understate or even to overstate what Buck has meant to this team because there's a a feeling you get around a team from year to year that lets you know where they're at in terms of cohesion. Are they all on the same page? They don't have to like each other, but is there a, a unity of, of cause that, again, may sound kind of trite, but it's noticeable some years more than others. And largely because of Buck, this year it's as noticeable as it's ever been. I mean, whenever there's an odd play, whether it's a rundown, whether the other team is having some frolics on the bases that you need to take advantage of defensively, um, whatever the play is that needs to be made, everybody's involved. Everybody knows they have a job to do. No detail has been spared. That's Buck. And I'll even take it one step further. Organizationally, from top to bottom, there's a professionalism around the Mets this year that even last year wasn't necessarily the case. Um, it's just different. I mean, you could probably feel it sure. too. There's yeah. just a different feeling and vibe around this club that is so, and I keep coming back to the one word, professional. Um, maybe they go all the way, maybe they don't. Whether they make the postseason or not doesn't change anything. Yeah. The fact is, this is a well-oiled machine right now. From top to bottom. Yeah, you think Buck's got a little Terry Collins in him, the way he approaches things? Or? Yeah, Buck, Buck's, you know what Buck is? He's a manager in every sense of the word. And he's got the benefit of X number of years' experience of having managed in this town. And you know what I love about him? He hasn't won the World Series yet. Sure. I remember thinking when they hired Buck, the same as I thought when the Rangers hired Mike Keenan, that Mike had a pretty impressive resume, but he hadn't taken that last step. He hadn't won a Stanley Cup. So there was an extra layer of motivation there, and Mike got it done. Now with Buck, he's a little older than, than Keenan was in 1994. So I think, yeah, there's that special urgency that Buck feels because he's had a tremendous managerial career, several Manager of the Year awards, but he hasn't climbed that final step up the mountain. One more hill to climb, if you would. Howie, lastly, I know you missed miss some games to take care of your health and everything. And you tell us how you're feeling great these days, knock on wood. Yeah, pretty, you know, feeling pretty good, just managing schedule. What do they call it now? Load management yeah. in the NBA. But a lot of us, I was talking to John Sterling recently, who's finally going to take some games off this year, thankfully. And a lot of us, Denny Matthews with the Royals, um, Greg Schult with um, the Arizona Diamondbacks and quite a few others, particularly radio guys who generally do just about every game. Right. 
you know, when you get to a certain point, when you've got a certain amount of miles on your tires, if you're going to be there at the end of the year and if you're going to go through the entire postseason, and look, I know I'm taking some long road trips off, meaning out west, but I don't care if they're in the postseason. I don't care if those games are in Timbuktu. Yeah. I'm doing those games. It's just that you kind of need to refresh yourself, and it's, it's the reality of the unforgiving baseball schedule. It's got to make you feel good, all the support you get from the fans oh. during your, your illness and you know, the noise they, you know, they, how beloved you are from the Mets community. Yeah, Jay, that's, um, that's pretty powerful stuff. You know, Jay, full disclosure, he was calling me every day, you know, after I had my surgery last year and all through the recovery. And, you know, I love you for it. I'll never forget it. And I say My friend Linda says I have OCD. <laughs> well, <laughs> Whatever you know, that is. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to find the right, uh, yeah. You know, well, uh, words yeah. to somehow line up with OCD, other than what it what it is. But yeah. the, what the fan base did, the way they reached out, was um, something I'll never forget and yeah. deeply appreciate. How well, you're a good friend and supportive of the alumni stuff we're doing, and uh, let's keep it going, get into the World Series. Sounds good to me, Jack. Thanks, Howie. I appreciate it. You got it. Thanks. thanks. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.